glad you could join us for episode 111 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of Joss Whedon's space western Firefly, starring Nathan Fillion and Marina Baccarin. Dude. He's just, just going to keep doing it. Yeah. Well, Even after her impressive uh, meme impersonating that uh, I think Michael put up on the on the Facebook page, you still have no respect. I, I did, and I... I didn't really say i just i just told you i'd let it slide on the facebook but uh we'll, we'll get to that later i thought that would transition to you mentioning her during the uh, the podcast tonight but it's no. not to be i guess no no we'd love to hear from you though listeners uh via email at sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com or the website where you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab you can also record your own audio clip and send the mp3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at sci-fi tv rewatch and we encourage you to join the Facebook group, join the discussions there. And, and finally, Wayne and I would really appreciate it if you get the chance to head on over to iTunes and give us hopefully a five-star rating, which will really help the podcast visibility. But yeah, I think if we start telling people we require them to join the Facebook group, that, that maybe we'll get more people, you know? Nice. All right. Like you can't listen unless you join the Facebook group. Oh, I How about like that? It. I like it. Go. Yeah. But before we go on last time, I, I just raised the question how one of us got front row seats to the end of the year freshman assembly and the other one got back row seats. Right. So at the actual assembly, I, I, I didn't see you there. I was there. Oh, were you? Okay. So, yeah. then, you, so then you know yeah. that uh, we get to the end, give out all the awards, and they're getting ready to show the slideshow, which is kind of the highlight, really, because it had you know pictures of just about every freshman there. And of course, the laptop they're running it from doesn't work. So uh, our friend who shall not be named, who's in charge of the event, Jocelyn, uh, (laughs) makes the announcement, does anybody in the audience have a laptop? Right. So I'm sitting there in the back row because I've got my laptop because I'm editing or trying (laughs) to edit our last podcast. But But the damned applause was so loud, I couldn't hear. So I finally just gave up. So, you know, I went up there and uh, offered my laptop and got the... You, you, you came through, man. I did. And, you did. Uh, you said, you, you, you're you're it, Mr. Clutch. As it turns out, the, the timing was everything because even with the delay, it uh, you know got them just to the end. Right, but, yeah. Uh, if it hadn't been all that rigmarole, it would have been like a good five, ten minutes of nothing to do with an auditorium full of ninth graders. It could have gotten ugly. Yep, and it's funny not yeah, because certainly our our principal knows when he saw me with my laptop. He he just said, "So what were you uh, listening to one of your podcasts?" I'm like, well, no, actually, I was trying yeah, to edit it. But I was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you didn't tell me you were you were editing your final exam or something. Yeah. Uh, no, I figured uh, I'll come out with the truth. Um, <laughs> uh, now we didn't get any listener feedback, so uh, you know, like to thank the next round of listeners who's been who've been favoriting, retweeting, or responding to the Twitter posts. Uh, 99 Mangoes, Hala, Seagirl, My Gray Bell, who's been with us for a while now. Uh, Kevin Batchelder, who, of course, a lot of listeners know from tuning into Sci-Fi TV and Arrow Squad at Golden Spiral Media. Black Hole Sun at Uniblue. James Higginbotham, Rich Bukowski, who has been around since uh, Continuum. That's where Mike and I first ran into him, and he has joined us over here. And Carolyn Sy at Ocean 363. And, you know, we'll acknowledge more next show. But in Firefly news, or 
tonight's featured actor. Uh, what? Yeah, I know. Uh, we'll take a look at Marina Baccarin, who plays Inara. Yeah. And now you probably know this first thing I'm going to mention is that she was just named in the last two weeks a series regular on Gotham for season two, continuing her role as Arkham Asylum's Dr. Leslie Lee Tompkins. So, so you uh, know about her in that show. Yeah, yeah. I figured she'd be there for season two as she was still alive at the end of season one. So is she good or bad? She's great. She's awesome. No, I don't mean that. I mean, is, is oh, her character oh, she, evil? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's a good, she's, she's good. She's uh, Jim Gordon's new love interest. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler. Sorry. But, All right. Uh, you you know, kind of see it coming from a mile away though, right? When she first starts. All right, um, cool. Now, is her hair long? I mean, it's I, long. I, yeah, okay. she looks great. Because last time I, I have this vision of her in V with that yeah. ultra short hair. No, she's she's in full form, man. She's awesome. She looks good. Uh, her character is great. Uh, she's great playing the character. She's really a um, one of my favorite parts of that show. And that show is really that, that's a, a really good show. Now, the other thing that I guess I didn't realize is that she continues to serve as the voice of Gideon, the supercomputer belonging to Eobard Thawne in Flash. She is. Yeah, I didn't know that. Really, so, I did yeah. not know that either. Um, she's completed a TV movie called Warriors, uh, and the deal here is ABC ordered a is pilot she shooting at the walls of heartache. Uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> ABC Are they come out and play. Yeah, uh, apparently ABC ordered a pilot for the show, but then opted not to pick it up for a series, even though it was one of their better testing pilots for 2014 2015. So I guess they turned it into a TV movie, but there's no release date given for it yet. She has joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe as she's filming Deadpool for a 2016 release, and she plays copycat slash Vanessa Carlisle, who will be the love interest of Deadpool. Is there a trend going on here with the love interest thing? Yeah, well, she's an attractive woman. Yeah, and then it's a miniseries that I have had on my DVR for about a year now at the behest of my wife. But she appears as Rachel in the 2014 biblically-themed miniseries, The Red Tent. So, haven't seen it yet, but... uh, And you're, honestly, you're never going to watch it. You might as well delete it. And I, oh yeah, I've been married long enough to know not to do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's why all the say yes to the dresses are still on ours. Exactly. So, So, you've got all your shows on there, what? You don't have room for... Yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't have room for your shows. Yeah. Yeah, that's that true. Works. It used to be like that. I used to just take up all the space, but now there's there's all kinds of stuff on there now. Yep. All right. Well, we're here to look at episode three called Bushwhacked, written and directed by Tim Minear, aired September 27th, 2002. And, you know, it, it's funny with this episode, Wayne, is that I kept expecting there to be an ambush. And then we never really got it in in the way I expected. Well, yeah, kind of a little bit, but yeah, not as right as you were probably expecting, like a group of people ambushing them or something. Yeah, just like the whole playing possum, and then they were going to jump out of the corners, and 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 it just never happened. And, and and again, you've seen this many many more times than I have. This is only my second viewing, but uh, yeah, and I'll put it out there now. I mean, this is probably the least favorite of. My my least favorite Firefly episode that I'm really not a big fan of Bushwhacked. Well, and you know what? Having said that, that bodes well for the series because uh, 
you know, I, I don't have a clear recollection of the other episodes, but I really enjoyed this one and maybe even enjoyed it a little more on the rewatch. So, heck, if this is one of your least favorite, then we're in good shape here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're definitely in good shape. Um, but do you know, like, where the term bushwhack comes from? I don't. So bushwhackers were guerrilla fighters, partisans during the American Civil War. So a lot of times it was kind of like the uh, the the was it the Kansas Nebraska War that was going on and everything, or maybe I think the Kansas Nebraska Act, but yeah, like ble- bleeding Kansas, whatever that that led up to the Civil War, and then after that, where um, you know basically like out kind of in the country, a lot of times it was where there were strong divisions. You know, there was a community, you know, people over here that were pro-union, people over here the pro-Confederacy. And so a lot of time the, uh, you know, partisans would take it upon themselves to have raids on their, uh, the people who believed otherwise. And it's kind of happened both sides. I think if you look at the term, a lot of times it says Confederate guerrillas, but there were, there were, you know, both sides had their um, partisan forces and everything. Um, and so they're called bushwhackers. And so the term just kind of meant, you know, took on this meaning of being ambushed. Yeah, and and here it kind of even has a, a double meaning in that. I mean, certainly bushwhacked by the the guy, the lone survivor who basically transformed into a reaver. But yeah. then also the, name, the alliance right? survivor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I did write exactly. Even, I, like I watched the credits, and that was his credit. His name in the credits, Survivor. Yeah. Uh, well, the opening scene, I guess we could say it's an homage to the NBA, <laughs> playing some sort of makeshift version of basketball, and they're having a great time. And, and we haven't really seen the crew this relaxed. Everybody seems happy. And River and Simon are watching from that elevated position as Inara appears and speaks to Simon. But what really got me was how transfixed River is on the game. Mm-hmm. And she seems to be counting something or calculating something. Yeah, um, well, you know, we see a couple times that because we've just seen kind of like the the goofy, spastic, you know, unhinged river. Um, now we're starting to see the other side of her that you know the side that uh, Simon talked about, what she was like before she was taken away. You know that that she's a kid, right? Yeah, sure. And is now getting some human contact, you know, certainly from her brother. But, you know, obviously, Inara's taken her under her wing, uh, you know, to a certain extent, Kaylee. But it's just it's just so cool to see her happy. And it's almost as if being happy, at least at this level, it's, you know, because we've heard about her prowess in, in basically everything she does. And it's almost as if she's calculating mathematically what's going on in the game, and and that brings pleasure to her. But Simon does tell Inara that while she seems improved, she still hasn't revealed what exactly was done to her. Right. And he doesn't know if he can help her. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, There's just a couple things about the basketball, whatever the game it was they're playing. Uh, first of all, they're playing with like one of those yoga balls. Yeah. Right? That's like this huge thing. And uh, but book was playing for one. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of cool, you know. And then uh, there's at one point, Jane puts Kaylee on his shoulders. Yeah. You know, so it's like this really, as you said, this really kind of good scene where we see the crew, you know, not in an intense situation, just kind of kicking back and having fun and and playing a game and everyone's into it and laughing and and having a good time. Yeah. And and like Inara points out to Simon, or I'm sorry, Simon points out to Inara that they don't really seem to be playing by any rules. Which right. is which? Which is 
pretty much a parallel for them in their day-to-day life. Uh, yeah. Well, but, any game is going to look like that if you, you don't know the rules, right? Well, true, true. But uh, obviously, we can't have too much of a good thing. The proximity alert goes off, and no one seems really concerned as Wash goes to investigate. And in fact, Kaylee then suggests Simon replace Wash on their team. But once in the cockpit, Wash sees that ship spinning out of control and then a body floats by and, and, and I guess rams into Serenity. I was a little surprised that it seemed to really shake the ship. I mean, not that their ship's that big, but still. Yeah, I, I don't know if it like was, but, but yeah, it was certainly jarring, right? Like as the viewer, because you're not really expecting the ship to get hit by a body yeah in uh, space right but then off by herself just outside the cockpit we hear a river utter it's a ghost uh-huh. and and then we obviously go to commercial and and that's what we're left with so like i said earlier even now i, I keep expecting an ambush but you know at the end of the day this whole episode it's our first glimpse of the reavers and the destruction like an reaver, yeah yeah and and the destruction both physical and emotional that they leave in their wake and, and and so this is going to be really the first taste i mean we've heard about them and you know now we get to see still not exactly up close but but certainly more so 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 the crew's discussing whether or not they should investigate and it's shepherd book that's most concerned that some might still be alive and need help. <laughs> and then again, uh, do I need to remind you of the story of the good Samaritan Mal shoots back? I'd rather you didn't. Yeah. And we see books role here as uh, I believe you had said at a uh, previous podcast that he's like the kind of uh, Mal's conscience and his uh, morally moral guidance here, I guess. And, uh, and but he, he realized what we see is Mal is not opposed to going on the ship. It's just not necessarily for humanitarian reasons, right? But that's what makes it so interesting because, like you said, and I agree that that he does act as Mal's moral compass to a degree. But then you could argue that, but Mal doesn't really need it. He, you know, he does the right thing, grudgingly, reluctantly in many cases. But but I think Shepard's there just to you know, give him that little nudge. Right. And at times he pours on sententiousness, right? That yeah. It gets to be like a little too much. And I'm starting to agree with Matt. Like, you know, just, you know, keep, keep it to yourself this time, Shepard. All right. Just for once, you know, um, and we've talked about that before is that Mal has a, a, a sense of right, a strong sense of, of what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, they suit up and they go over to investigate the ship. And, you know, Simon comes down. He's got his med kit offering his services. And, and you know, Jane, of course, brushes him off and all of that. But, you know, it almost it seems as if Simon's demeanor indicates that he knows something. But, uh, you know, obviously we know in retrospect he really doesn't know anything, you know, or, or certainly not of what actually is occurring. For, for like on the ship or with Yeah, yeah, on the ship. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, he, he's he's trying to fit in, and we saw that with the the basketball, well, whatever quasi basketball game, is he's still an outsider. Uh, River is an outsider. Inara is an outsider. You know, none of them were down there playing basketball with the rest of the crew. Yeah. So they're kind of removed from that, and Simon is maybe starting to feel that a little bit. He wants to pitch in and wants to be part of the community, but he's still very much an outsider. Yeah, and I and I really do like 
the way he gets onto the ship finally you know granted it's a joke played on him by jane but i think it's one of those deals where if you can laugh at yourself then the rest of the group is going to you know draw you in that much closer and i really think that's what happens in in that case i don't know if he was really laughing at himself well yeah i know what you're saying but the thing is also no one else was laughing at him either. Like Jane thought it was hilarious because remember Mal did essentially the same joke on Simon in the pilot, right? Right. Sure. So when he shows up in the this the outfit and everything, and Mal's like, "Why are you here?" and "Why?" and and you know everyone else is there dressed in their regular clothes, not wearing space outfits. He realizes he's been had. Jane starts laughing hysterically, but everyone else. This is like looking at it because it's like, okay, it was funny when Mal did it, but when you do it, nah, not so much. Well, right. And and I think to be fair, you know, what you say is, is certainly accurate because at this point, you know, they're on the ship. They notice that the emergency power's on and it appears the crew and passengers were right in the middle of eating when they suddenly just abandoned everything. And, and like Mal says, what happened here happened quick. And, you know, that fact, I think, certainly got in the way of uh, them appreciating Jane's joke for sure. So, um, you know, so so this is the part where, you know, everything's left on the ship powered down on its own. And then Zoe notices that someone was in the middle of an entry in a personal log, uh, you know, and, and again, I just keep waiting for everybody to descend on them. And it never happens. Yeah, well, I mean, it does happen. You know, later, but but yeah, when we're expecting it here in this really creepy abandoned ship, and that's what we should add to the the list we did a couple years ago of creepy things. Remember, we did supernatural, oh, yeah, sure, kids, uh, add right, kids, uh, white vans, all that stuff. Uh, add on to that abandoned things. Yeah, if anything's been abandoned at all, it's creepy. Yeah, and so this ship is is super creepy because it's been abandoned, and and the the fact that you know like no one made any preparations for it to be abandoned is even creepier, right? And then the comment where River said it's a ghost, um, you know, that adds to the creep factor as well. Oh, no question, and you know, I, I certainly don't think it's a trope, but you know, that whole idea of the abandoned spaceship that that a crew comes across i mean we've certainly seen it in other shows and i don't think it's a trope but like you said it definitely is close creepy well it is but i guess if you handle it differently in each case but uh the other thing i i notice is that and again i don't think we need to remind the listeners about what a great uh great writer joss whedon is and certainly in this case tim manier who who was one of the i guess was he a co-creator of the show i mean he certainly uh, yeah, I, I believe so. I, he I, he did a lot of the writing, and I think he produced a couple too. Actually, yeah. it's another uh, Ben Edlund produced uh, show. Right, uh, but at the same moment that Zoe hits the keyboard, River sits bolt upright in bed, looking distressed, and she, you know, holding her head, sobbing, can't sleep, too much screaming. So it, it's the first instance, and we see it a couple times in this episode. There seems to be some sort of psychic link that she has i mean i don't know what else to call it yeah well uh, yeah either that or extreme empathy or okay. hyper awareness maybe yeah you know a lot of things but she is certainly aware of a lot of things that other people can't sense at all and she knows that the 
the survivor, quote unquote, is you know bad news uh, from basically from the first. Yeah, so so I mean, then it's the question. So, does she sense the screaming that he heard, or does she somehow hear the screams of the dead? Oh, I'm getting, I'm telling you, I'm getting goosebumps just saying that. Uh, yeah, but I think you're right, though. I think that is what she's hearing. You know, it and, seems. And, and you know, obviously Simon has said he doesn't know how to help her, and, and he attempts to comfort her, but uh, obviously he's out of his depth at, at this point. Jane tells Simon that Mal wants the two of them to hurry over the ship. Simon clearly doesn't want to leave his sister. And obviously this is where the joke begins um, that, uh, you know, he suits up and goes over, but you know, I, I do like the fact that, you know, he does trust Inara enough to take care of his sister. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, right. and again, it shows that he is maybe, you know, the little baby steps towards becoming part of this group. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cause trust is, you know, obviously paramount. In, in, Part in of any. it, yep. Yep. Well, Mal determines that the ship's lifeboat launched more than a week ago, and they, they figure that 16 families were on board, but that the lifeboat would only carry about a third of that. So, again, what happened to everybody else? Mm-hmm. Uh, Inara goes to see uh, if River's hungry, and she finds the bunk empty, and, and we see River going over to the other ship. The fact that she's barefoot, is that important? I don't know. Maybe it just speaks to her. I don't, does she even have shoes? Well, good point. You know, I mean, she was kind of naked in that box, so. True. I don't, a lot of times I forget to pack the shoes when the kids would go on vacation, so, you know, just saying, Simon's a guy. Really? Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, as the crew continues. No, I made that up. But still, <laughs> shoes are tough. Shoes are, sh- shoes are like the biggest pain in the butt, like everything. It takes kids forever to get shoes on. They don't ever have. Well, you're ready to go out the door, and shoes is always the game stopper. There you go. So. All right. Well, as the crew continues to salvage, Mal suddenly reveals that he knows what did this, and and again, just the creep factor points his flashlight above to reveal floating dead bodies. Then via comms, he tells everybody, "Drop what you're doing. Return to serenity. Don't ask questions." And then uh, Jane gets attacked, and Malzo, Kaylee, Simon meet, discover uh, River, who then says, "Follow the voices." And I was like, "Jesus!" <laughs> um, and Jane thinks he hit the attacker, which he did because I think it's Simon. I guess it doesn't really matter who notices the blood drops. Yeah, on the I floor. think it was Simon. Yeah. Um, and then they find that young man survivor right. <laughs> wounded hiding in a fan vent and and i again classic malcolm reynolds yeah just we got knocks we got, him out yeah well before you said you know oh we're, we're merciful we got lots and lots of mercy you know and then boom punches him right in the face yeah well, yeah. well he starts uttering you know like cattle for the slaughter no mercy open up yeah. see what's inside and, and again in retrospect I, I i guess that's what the reavers are doing just literally cutting them open like yeah. cattle right and um and and you know obviously mal from the start has misgivings about this young man yeah and rightly so as it turns out now you know simon's working on him in the med unit and finally i guess malcolm realizes what's what's going on here and tells him to dope him despite simon's disapproval but Again, I think Simon's starting to trust Malcolm that you know, he, I almost thought he was going to argue with him when he told him to dope him. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but but of course he doesn't, and just does knock him out. And that's when Malcolm reveals that the ship was hit by reavers. This guy was exposed, and for us, I guess our first question, you know, like like with zombies, is he going to turn into one? Which is sure. in fact what happens. But was um, he scratched? Yeah. Well, well, the crew's kind of confused since reavers apparently don't take prisoners. It's not clear whether or not they've no, actually, they don't. They don't leave survivors. They don't leave survivors. Absolutely. Now, Book doesn't want to simply abandon the young man, feeling he can be rehabilitated. And then I, I guess it's Malcolm Jane's right. Reavers ain't men. And at this point, it kind of raises the question: How did these men reach this point? I mean, was it some kind of virus? Have they been on the outer planets, the outer regions so long, has so much time elapsed that generations have lived, died, been reborn with these animal-like instincts? And Yeah, yeah well, that's what Mal says, right? Basically. Well, yeah, that's what he says, but then I guess the, the actual reality of how do men turn into animals? Right. Um, well, that's you know, kind of like Lord of the Flies, right, is what that's about. Like, at at our very basic, you strip away everything else from a human being. Uh, They're a a vicious, deadly hunter at at their core. Yeah. Yep. And so now the question becomes, what do we do? And, you know, Mao says they're going to continue the salvage, which surprised me a little bit. I guess he feels like they've got things under control but still, they haven't. Just on the off chance that the Reavers might say, hey, dude, I left my lighter back on that ship. Oh, all right, well, let's turn around and go get it. And again, I mean, they haven't investigated every inch of the ship. So now that you know it's Reavers, but whatever, uh, which I, I guess just speaks to uh, you know, how dire their financial situation has become. You know, We talked about it last week. They don't have enough to keep the ship in uh you know proper repair the i guess the irony there is uh jane is the one that refuses to go back because of the dead bodies simon offers to go i've dealt with bodies they don't worry me and then book wants to give the dead a proper goodbye and he has a a, a, just a great line that kind of speaks to what you just said about you know uh at, at the you know the the core of everybody is that animal instinct he says, how we treat our dead makes us different from those who did the slaughtering. Right. And that's, that's, that's a good point. And that's, you know, I'm actually doing Antigone right now. And so in, uh, in class, and, you know, obviously that's a big part of that, right? That, that is yeah. with civilization. You figure out you can't just leave dead bodies lying around. You got to do something with them. Yeah. And if you haven't read Antigone, even if you read it in high school and it's been a while, I mean, it is a great play. I mean, it's it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I know we're telling you to go out and read a Greek tragedy, but it's not that long. It's understandable. And, yeah. and, and like Wayne just said, I mean, the, the thematic ideas, you know, just about, you know, what it means to be human, you know, what's the right thing to do, ethics, more, oh, it's just awesome. You almost think that Mal's going to tell him no, but but he does agree with him. And then, really interesting, when Mao says, Book can say his words because, you know, if there is a God, I don't want these people looking over my shoulder. Now, right. is he referring metaphorically to the dead? Is he perhaps looking, uh, referring to his crew? 
And then Inara, just when I think I've got you figured out. <laughs> and it just, and again, you know, that line, that scene right there just speaks to the, you know, burgeoning relationship that we're just never going to see. Maybe we would have seen it in season two or season three, who knows, but yeah. uh, certainly it would have been something interesting to watch. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of those moments where we'd like to say, oh, well, Mal is, you know, showing his human side and, and his compassionate nature. But in reality, the Reavers have set up a booby trap and they can't detach. If they detach from the ship, they'll blow up. So they, they, they have to stick around long enough to undo the booby trap anyway. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's rather calm about all of that. You know, once he tells uh, Zoe and Wash, uh, I can't remember who else was there when he was telling it. Kaylee. I think. Uh, Kaylee. But it, it also then goes back to, as we've been talking about, what happened to this man who was kissing the cross, you know, during the Battle of Serenity Valley and now wants nothing whatsoever to do with religion. And, yeah. and it's called disillusionment. Man. Okay. And, it just and, was pretty rampant in like especially around nineteen eighteen, there's a strong amount. And then uh early seventies, another pretty hard wave of it was going around then too. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is like we said, you know, Shepherd Book certainly does act as his moral compass, but is he now the one that's gonna kind of bring him back? to you know whatever level of faith he may have had up you know before the disillusionment set in yeah but you know it's it's funny because he seems like someone who was you know we mentioned this before like very religious before to someone who has just gone completely the opposite way yeah yeah Now, now kaylee tells him that was real pretty what you just said but Wash is kind of surprised that the captain would worry about religious rituals. And then, and I'm not sure I believe him. Maybe I do. He says, nah, I just said that to keep everybody else busy while we deal with what needs to be done. Okay. And that is, of course, like you just said, they've got to figure out how to detach the ship without it exploding. And I guess on the one hand, I should have seen it coming because yeah, one of the things I really, really, really hate is when there's some sort of a bomb, we've got the timer, and we sit there and we watch the clock tick down 07, 06, 05, 04, right. 03, 02, up, oh, they disarm it. So she after gets, after moving the uh, cutters back and forth between the two wires yeah, like three times. Exactly. You know, so here we don't go through all of that you know kaylee's successful okay clearly the reavers are not these you know uh electronic geniuses that have rigged up this bomb that can't be disarmed and we should have known because we've still got you know 20 20 minutes or so left in the episode that something bad is still gonna happen and yeah bomb's done okay let's go home yep (laughs) and again he asks her about whether she can remove it safely. You know, she says, you know, she thinks she can. Besides, if I mess up, it's not like you'll be able to yell at me. Which Good point. Yeah, and again, it, their relationship is just priceless. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like father-daughter. It's, all, it's like kind of big brother, little sister kind of thing. That uh, Yeah, one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, now, while everybody's working on that, though, in River's room, 
Inara's writing in Chinese characters. I don't know if uh-huh. that's important or not. You've certainly seen it many more times than I have. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've never gone and like looked up like what it is she's actually writing or something. But again, it's here is you know it, it kind of shows us the the culture that has left Earth that was is what they call it, right? Yeah, is you know a very an amalgamation of all our other cultures. And it really kind of gets us to see outside of ourselves and realize, well, yeah, should human beings move out into the universe, whether you were born in America or China or Canada or England or Russia or, or Nairobi or wherever, it's it's not going to matter, you know? Yeah. If you're hanging out in a place with a bunch of three-headed aliens or something, sorry, three-headed aliens, and not nothing against you or anything, but you're gonna be pretty psyched to see another human being, no matter what the color of their skin or their religion or their sexual orientation or anything. You're just gonna be saying, "Hey, another person, man! I haven't seen another person in a long time." You know? Oh yeah. So you, when you when you kind of move to expand our brains beyond this this little planet that we're on it makes you see some of the things that seem so important now are actually kind of insignificant. Yeah. Uh, Now, now we see another parallel, um, you know, the wounded young man, AKA survivor, obviously is experiencing fitful sleep. As is river. They both sit bolt upright, her screaming, he grabbing a blade. And, you know, again, I, 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 I think you've got it, you know, just that, that, her ability to feel empathy um, because I, yeah. So is that a psychic connection? I guess it is, but. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we're just seeing more and more now we're actually starting to see some of like river superpowers, right? Yeah. Like uh, Simon told us about it. And I don't really think we've seen it yet, uh, except that she seems to be very aware of like what people are thinking and feeling and everything like that. Um, But, but yeah, here it's, you know, we totally see it front and center that she has abilities beyond that of, of normal people. Now, the one thing that Mal and the away team do find of value is all this food and uh, foodstuffs. And that's what they are bringing back onto the ship. And, you know, they, they get everything back. Everything seems to be okay, but the alarms are going off again. And of course, we fear that it's Reavers. Yeah, I think they kind of think that too. Yeah, uh, but then Mao and Zoe find Wash at the controls, and they see this huge Alliance ship. I, I keep wanting to hear the you know the Star Wars dun 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 dun. Right. Yeah, and then the orders to prepare to be boarded, and we're like, ah, oh, crap. Yep, that uh, that Alliance yep. man. Yep, but uh, you know what Malcolm does is he takes the approach that I believe it was in Poe's story, the purloined letter. Where do you leave something if you don't want it found? You leave yeah, it out in plain sight. In plain view. Exactly. It's, um, there's like a, a scene from, did you ever see The Pianist? Um, I'm not sure. No, it's it's a really, really good movie, uh, Holocaust movie. Uh Kind of, or World War II era movie. Oh, with um, uh, what's his name, Brody, Adrian Brody. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the uh, the family, as the Germans are invading Warsaw, um, you know, the family's like, all right, what do we what do we do with their money? They want to try and hide their money. So when the Germans come and ransack 
their apartment that they they won't find it. And so the father says, well, we do it. What we did the last time, just uh, he puts it on the table, puts a newspaper over it, hide it in plain sight. And his one son just looks at him like, that's, that's idiotic. (laughs) So it's, it's not, there's not a lot of humor in the pianist, but that scene is funny. Mm. Uh, well, the, the Alliance officer, and and uh, I, I don't know what I've seen him in before, but I, I've certainly... Yeah, you know, I actually went and looked, and he, you know, he's he's another one of those guys, you know, that has just been in tons of things, but nothing that I could really, you know, pinpoint. Oh, that's where I know that guy from, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, well, he's got information about the ship with the settlers, and then one of his uh, other officers reminds him that there was a bolo out on a Firefly-class ship carrying two fugitives, a brother and a yeah. sister. But At which point we're like, don't. Well, and then when he finds out that any more information's classified, the officer says, all right, well, let's go investigate, but tell everybody, if you encounter anything, shoot first let the brass sort it out. And then, you know, that's, then we cut back to the ship and mouse telling everybody to put the stash in plain sight, which obviously is not something that, uh, Jane is interested in doing, but he, he, he does it nonetheless. Right. Well, and it's, they're going to find it anyway, right? He knows that they're going to come on and then they're going to ransack his ship. So if he appears to be on the up and up, um, you know, maybe they'll let him go. Yeah. But if they have to go searching for it, obviously that's going to make him crankier. Yep. And, and then when Simon gets it into his head, and, and I understand why he thinks this is going to happen, that, that Malcolm's going to give him and his sister up to the Alliance, Book has to tell him, don't be a fool, son. Do as the man says. You know, because he, I guess, has that sense that there is that innate sense of right and wrong in Malcolm Reynolds. Right, and obviously Simon doesn't see that yet, and Simon is completely paranoid, and maybe justifiably so, as Jane was very enthusiastic about the idea of just, you know, of selling them or dumping them or whatever. But it's unusual, I think, how how Book is the one who comes in and has to stand up for Malcolm. You know, like no one's really backed Malcolm that much, and and finally uh, Book does here. Yeah, no question. And uh, my favorite visual scene in this episode is as the Alliance is boarding the ship, the crew forms a V, Malcolm's at the center, arms crossed, and we've seen this picture you know, on the internet hundreds mm-hmm. of times probably. Wash has a smile and is holding his hands up in surrender as <laughs> the Alliance comes on the ship. And, you know, they search it, uh, and it, it seems the survivor is now dead I mean, or, or so it seems obviously we know he's not but serenity's crews brought aboard the alliance for questioning and, and you know it, it was interesting i'm not sure you know we need to talk about each you know each individual that was questioned and the approach that they took but you know it was it was interesting yeah and i like how they did it how they edited it and uh with the you know the script and everything uh, especially with you know, Zoe saying, my husband, he'll never say anything. You'll never get anything out of him. And, uh, or, 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 or no, like they ask uh, like how they measure something. She's like, basically, it's none of your business. Um, and then, you know, Wash is like, starts talking about her legs and everything. Well, well even before that, he's questioning Inara. And then he says, and you love him. 
and then it immediately cuts to Zoe. Of course, I love him. He's my husband, you know, right. and we think she's, he's asking right. Anara about Mal. And then, like right. you said, then it morphs into uh, Wash, who can't keep his mouth shut. Right, right. So uh, it's just a really very cleverly done scene. Right. And, but then when it gets to Shepard Book, I mean, to me, that was the most telling it's because we wonder what he's going to do. I mean, he's a man of God. Is he going to tell the truth or is he going to lie? Yeah, I mean, we, well, I yeah. know, I know, but still, I don't think I've ever suspected at all that he would ride out the Tams. No, I didn't either. But because, yeah, that that was that would clearly be be wrong, you know. And he's protected them so much, and he protected them from the. Uh, the government guy and the pilot too, right? Well, true, true. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's at this point that we're wondering because, you know, the, the commander has said, look, I know the thing about fireflies is they have these nook, nooks and crannies that you smugglers like to use. And then the camera zooms out and we're outside the ship and we see Simon and River in spacesuits hanging onto the ship. But again, what really hit me was how much joy was in her face. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, you look at, at Simon, and Simon does not look joyful. Oh, no, he, no, no. He looks scared. He looks, he looks scared, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, she's just, she's looking all around, and, I mean, you're in space. You yeah. Know? Like, you're in outer freaking space, and you're clinging to the outside of a spaceship in outer space. How cool is that? Well, yeah, right? and then you wonder whether his fear is related to being caught by the alliance or <laughs> the fact that he's hanging on to a ship in space but the other thing that that struck me was just we see the immensity of the alliance vessel compared to serenity just right you know reinforcing the power that they have over the common man that's you know simply trying to make a life for himself or herself and and despite all that they just won't leave him alone all right and they also in a at the touch of a finger, he has all this information on all of them. You know, like he knows all about like Malcolm's war record and everything like that. Um, so it's just, you know, well, like just a bunch of officious bureaucrats and no one likes that. Yeah. And then I was a little surprised when Malcolm asks him, is this your first time on the outer planets? Right. Implying that he has no real experience with the Reavers, which of course he doesn't. And, you know, that, like you said, the commander's commenting on his military background. And he asks him why you'd name your ship after a battle they lost. And he says, well, it might have been the losing side. Still not convinced it was the wrong one. Yeah, that's a good line. Uh, and he's trying to warn him, you know. And part of the problem, obviously, is we find out that the uh, survivor has cut his tongue, split it, I guess, like a snake or. Yeah. Ugh. And, and of course, the commander thinks that it's, you know, Malcolm's men and, and that some sort of torture and all of that. But Malcolm knows there will be blood. And then, of course, we cut to the infirmary as the survivor starts killing the Alliance medical team. So Right. Well, you know, a couple of things. First of all, the minute they, they say that the guy split his tongue, Mal knows what's going on. He's just like, uh-oh, you know, big, big time danger. Well, well, I mean, that's one of the things that comes out here is that, you know, o over the past three episodes, we've been hearing about the Reavers and you've got one segment of the population that apparently has experience and the other half that thinks it's just tales told by children. Right. You know, and th yeah. that it's not really true. It's just legend. Well, yeah, here's the other thing I was going to say. 
um, is that things look, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out things look really bad for Malcolm right from the start. You know, there's a ship with a bunch of dead people on it and Malcolm's ship with all the stuff from the other ship, you know? So it, it, obviously it, it looks super, super suspicious. Now, Malcolm doesn't seem worried about that. He doesn't see, you know, he doesn't get up and say, what are you accusing me of murder? How dare you? He doesn't, you know, catch any like attitude with him about it. But, you know, we can appreciate fully how bad this whole situation is for them. The minute the, the Alliance rolls up. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, he's harboring, you know, public enemies, number one and two, uh, you know, things are, you know, like we can see that that Malcolm is, and and I like how he plays it, not trying to weasel out of it or anything like that, but just let's be as above board and honest as we can be. Yeah, and they're preparing to take him to the brig when that one soldier comes up and whispers something to the commander, and Malcolm tells him, "You won't find him, but I know where he'll go." You know, and so then we cut back to Serenity River and Simon entered the dining area. She's clearly spooked by something. And that's, you know, we see the Reaver's hand. I think it's fair to call him a Reaver now at this point. Grab yeah. the blade as she's pleading with her brother. And then, uh, uh, you know, Malcolm tells him, no, no, he's going to look for familiar ground. So, you know, that's that's where they go. And we've got Malcolm Alliance on board looking for the Reaver while Simon and River basically think they've dodged the Alliance bullet and wait, albeit with some trepidation. You know, Malcolm said, just lay low. Um yeah, well, and, and here's kind of the ironic thing I figured out now is we start this episode with the people going from Serenity onto an abandoned creepy ship, and now at the end they're going. Now Serenity is the abandoned creepy ship, right? right sure. They go on. There's no one on there. Um, Mal steps into. I guess was it the kitchen? Yeah. Where he kind of turns to the right and sees the Tams there, and you know he's thinking. Holy crap. Yeah. You know, like we're totally busted. Yeah. Right. And he backs um, out just as the Reaver attacks. Right. And the it's only because of the Reaver attacking that you know, they they never even spot them. Right. And you know, the other thing I like is is, is this was really the whole, you know, maybe the last 7 8 minutes at most. And I started thinking the first time, oh, this must going to be continued in the next episode, but no, they really wrapped it up neatly and and, and I don't. Yeah, well, it all happened really quickly. It, it you know, did. Like you thought there was going to be more uh, interplay with the alliance and everything like that, but no, it all just not unlike Antigone, right? right? Yeah. Uh, the action once it got going just followed right quickly to the uh, logical conclusion. Right now, you know, although no Deus Ex Machina ending here, I, I mean, I, I really think it did uh, transpire logically you know when malcolm saves the commander's life even though he's still handcuffed although he was to be fair his handcuffs were in the front they, now and and the handcuffs actually came in pretty handy they in fact did um and that sh- that shot of the terrified commander blood spattered all over his face and then we cut to a long shot of serenity detaching obviously being set free so you know it, it, at least the commander had the wisdom to do the right thing but then jane tells us well they still took our scavenged cargo and 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 malcolm says he had to couldn't let us profit 
wouldn't be yeah. civilized, which obviously was the, the major thematic point of the whole show. What does it mean to be civilized? Yeah, absolutely. And from what we've seen of the Alliance, though they have, they are quote unquote civilized. Um, they're not really human, right. right? It's a cold, as I said, a cold bureaucracy that rests back on statistics and rules and things like that. Um, it's a, it's a society that can take a little girl and turn her into river, what river is now, right? Um, and, uh, you know, so, and you see, as you said, the look on, on that commander's face, I think it's Harkins was his name, uh, according to IMDb. You know, remember, he, he didn't believe Reavers existed at all. He, can't, he could never even imagine that something as just completely vicious as as what he just saw could ever exist, right? Yeah, that a human being could become that, um, and he's just pretty much shaken. I think to to his very core when he realizes it. Yeah, and, and then he does take Malcolm's advice from earlier in the final scene. We we see the ship being destroyed, which was what Malcolm told him to do in the first place. Right. You know, so, I mean, certainly questions, observations coming out of this episode, it, it kind of... So, again, actually, I'm sorry, just no, one thing, that, of course, as they destroy the ship, it, like, blows up into flame and fire, and that's not possible in space. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I mean, they establish the journey that some men have made into this dehumanized life form. Um, we certainly get our first taste of abilities that river does possess was she linked to the survivor or is it just the you know the empathy thing does she lose the link after he went reaver i mean i don't think so because she she still seemed you know there were those scenes when she sits bolt upright while he's got the knife but i guess more than anything it reminds us of river's importance to the alliance that no matter how far out serenity goes they can't escape the alliance's influence Right. No, no. And obviously that's probably going to be, you know, more and more of a problem for, for Malcolm, right? Because his whole business is kind of like flying under the radar is what they do. Right. And they've got, you know, basically really hot commodity in, in their ship uh, that's going to draw attention wherever they go. I liked it a lot. I, I know you, I mean, if you were assigning letter grades, I mean, I'd certainly give it a solid B. I don't know if you'd go that high. I, I, B minus C plus. Okay. I mean, it's still obviously Firefly, so it's great. Yeah, yeah. But as far as out of the, what, 13 episodes we have of this, this is the one that, um, uh, you know, not so great. And part of it, I don't know. I, 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 I think part of it just might be, what that guy does to himself in his face, it's, ah, it's just, it's grotesque. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, you can't even, luckily the shot is, is, is very quick, but still you see enough of how he's disfigured himself to, you're just like, oh my God, you know, and, and, you know, the Reavers were, were bad enough as it was, you know, yeah. uh, a, a group that just the mere mention of their name inspires terror. Now that we see up close, what they are and think that there's more of that out there you know that just kind of ups it the the uh the scare factor even more i think yeah so 
All right. Anything else uh, you want to say about this one? The only thing is, like, I, I really like this line that uh, when the uh, the commander first comes on, he says, this looks to me like an illegal salvage operation. And Malcolm just goes, it does? <laughs> yeah. That's disturbing. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just like, kind of like, I, I just love how, how cool he can be. Like, even when he's in trouble and he's interrogated, he's still unrepentant and, and cool and, and everything like that. So, yep. yeah, such a great character. Yep. Um, well, a couple of things I want to point out that, you know, one of the things, look, obviously genre television is probably at its zenith. I mean, I think that's reasonable to say because there's just so many good shows out there, whether sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, or horror. But, you know, the one that I, I guess is kind of in short supply is the space epic. Uh, I mean, yep. certainly we had Battlestar Galactica and, and, you know, obviously we're dealing with Firefly now, but uh, this Friday, June 12th, We've got the debut of Dark Matter on Sci-Fi, starring Zoe Palmer. Uh, And then the 19th, the following Friday, Killjoys, which I've read a lot of good things about. So I'm really looking forward to watching both of those and giving those a shot. Do you know when uh, Defiance and Falling Skies are coming back? Defiance is Friday the 12th as well. I believe Defiance is at nine dark matter at 10 don't quote me on that but but definitely they're both on friday june 12th oh, okay um now the other one you know i i did tell you uh i uh, everybody kept oh you shouldn't give up on game of thrones you know that was the greatest episode and so i watched it i'm like you know oh, no i'm done and now everybody's oh no 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 this one was even bad that's what you said last i'm done with that but you watched episode eight uh, and you still you, you, I knew you wouldn't like that one. Okay, no. okay, because you don't like the big battle scenes. Okay, but have you seen Sense Eight? Yeah. Okay, so did you see the whole thing? No, I'm up to episode nine. Oh, okay. Wow. See, now I've only seen the first one, and I'm, I'm just not sure yet. I mean, it it really is complex. Which surprise, surprise, the Wachowskis. Um, right. But you know, it's not that complex because I get frustrated. Not, not frustrating because that makes me sound stupid. I'm not stupid. But, you know, when you have stories that go too far and are really overly complex and hard to follow, that to me isn't really enjoyable, you know. Not that I don't like thinking, but when, you know, there's a lot of times shows or movies push it a little bit, you know. But Sense8, is, it's really kind of, it's, it's, it's not that bad. And it's not, there, there is that supernatural element to it. Uh, where all you know, all these people kind of like share emotions and thoughts and stuff, but uh, you know, it's it's actually, you know, it's not as as complicated, I guess I would say, as you would think it would be. All right, I guess my reaction was that they took the uh, virtually the entire sixty minutes or whatever the the pilot was. Okay, I get it. I got it after the first twenty minutes. These people are connected somehow. Okay, let's move on. But but still, I, I you know I like the people in it. It was look. I mean, hey, come on, we, we've got the, a Doctor Who companion in there, right? Naked, uh, naked. Good point. So uh, you know, I'm definitely going to give it you know some more chance. I'm definitely going to watch episode two. Just haven't gotten around to it yet. But uh, I, I guess I have seen some rumblings, and again, not that it matters really. You know, is it genre? I, right. I guess. I mean, it's not really fantasy. It's maybe supernatural. Is it? 
Definitely supernatural. Okay. Um, but though I think it's actually going to be end up being science fiction. That it seems right now that it's like some kind of supernatural phenomenon. But I think it's actually it's going to be a, a sci- they mentioned like evolution, like these and and these people are. You saw like Daryl Hannah kind of like quote unquote gave birth. Uh huh. Right. Well, like I she, haven't seen that yet. No, that was that was in the that, pilot. That was in the pilot. It was like the very first thing. But Daryl Hannah's like on the mattress. Oh, yes, yes, of course. And then she kills herself, right? right? right. And then so they all, all the people see her killing herself. Well, right, sure. Um, so I think it's going to end up being a, a science-y type explanation for this phenomenon. But right now it definitely seems supernatural. But I, I see your, you know, what people who would say that this really is not a genre show in spirit. And I would almost, agree with that a little bit because what i find compelling about sensate is not i don't find myself really saying oh man i can't wait till they have the next meet you know when two people merge and they then they go and fight you know it's more like i, I want to know what's going on with these people in their lives I'm, I'm following their stories and i care about these characters and i i'm reacting to it on a, on a dramatic human level more so than that you know that genre fan in me is not necessarily the one who's enjoying this it's it's the guy who you know likes like regular human drama right and you know i find myself getting caught up in that argument and, and at the end of the day what does it matter if it's good it's good right and and i know sensate is getting you know some criticism but i think it's i is it the best ever no, it's not the best ever, you know. But I think television by nature should be uneven. If you're writing, you know, you got 13 episodes, 13 one-hour episodes, give or take, that's that's a lot. Sure. That's 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 100 and that that's uh, I don't know, the yeah. math. But that's a lot of minutes. <laughs> yep. Of right. That's uh you know, 130 hours. Wait, no, what? <laughs> I don't know. We're no, English teachers. No. Uh, it's it's 13, 13 hours yeah. of, of stuff. That's, I mean, that's just, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of writing. That's a lot of direction. That's, you would never go see a 13 hour movie, right? So, and could you imagine trying to write a 13 hour movie? Yeah. And, and that's kind of what, uh, especially when you're writing a show that has a specific arc that's not a, just a, you know, monster of the week type show um you know it you're writing a 13 hour story yeah and you know i mean i think as we see more and more filmmakers move over to television and certainly with netflix getting involved to the extent that they've gotten involved we're probably going to see more and more of this sure um i think it's a good thing and 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 i like like again like daredevil very uneven right starts off i was you know, I was where you are, where, you know, after like two episodes, three episodes, I think I watched, I'm like, I don't really like this show. I don't think it's that good. But I kept with it because, well, you know, I read comic books a lot when I was a kid and Daredevil's awesome. And uh, by the end of that show, I was like, wow, this show is really, really good, you know, by the end of it. But it took that time. And, and what they did, and actually this is kind of the cool thing about Netflix, because it's almost like, I'm not saying Netflix doesn't care how many people watch it, but they're probably figuring, people are going to watch this stuff. We put stuff up on Netflix, people are going to watch it. And they can watch it whenever they want and however they want. And 
you know, we don't have to get a million viewers on one particular episode. We can get those millions of viewers over years and years and years, right? Yep. That people will just keep watching this and, and almost relying on, on buzz, right? Um, so they can take, like Daredevil, they can take the first three or four episodes of a series and really slow burn and develop the characters and not have necessarily tons of stuff happen where normally uh, if in, in regular television, watching network television, people would, would bail on the show, right? The show sucks. It's not going anywhere. It's boring. But because Netflix, they can just, they put it all out there at once. Well, I don't have to bail on it. I can watch the next episode right here and now. I don't have to wait a week. I don't have to devote months of my life to this. I could sit down in a couple of nights and watch it. And if I still don't think it's good after that, all right, well, I won't come back for season two. Yep. So I, I like how they can do that. You know, it's, it's cool. It, it, I think the Netflix model is, is one of the things that's really changing, uh, you know, kind of television around right now. Yep. And, you know, if – Sense8 sounds like something you might be interested in, and I'd urge you to go over to Den of Geek. Uh, Michael writes reviews for a lot of different shows for Den of Geek. I don't know where he has the time to do all of this, but he received an advanced copy of the entire season, so he had to watch the whole thing in about three-day span, but he wrote a pretty much spoiler-free review of it, so I'd urge you to go over to Den of Geek and take a look at that. So. Well, why don't we wrap things up here, Wayne? I want to thank you guys for joining us. We'd love to hear from you about Firefly, Dark Angel, or anything else you think we should be watching. I'd like to encourage you once again to join the Facebook group. Actually, I think Wayne said that it's basically a requirement now. Uh, Yes, you're required. We are going to cut off your um, feed unless you go join the Facebook. (laughs) And by feed, we... uh, uh, emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website and we'll be back next week with dark angel season two episode three titled proof of purchase but until then her legs and right where her legs meet her back that whole area <laughs>